0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves Podcast Channel coming to you from our broadcast site here in 1285 Avenue of the Americas in New York City. Uh, joining me here in studio, glad to welcome Jordy Visser, the president and chief investment officer of Weiss Multi-Strategy Advisors, which is a $4 billion in asset under management multi-strategy hedge fund. At Weiss, Jordy oversees the portfolio managers and is responsible for the overall risk aggregation of Weiss's funds. Uh, Some further background on Jordy. Jordy is a lead contributor to his firm's podcast In Search of Green Marbles, which you can find on all major streaming services and is the host of the video series Real Time with Jordy Visser. You can find him on Twitter as well using the handle at JVisser underscore Weiss. Now to tie in the theme of our conversation for today, Jordy is also an avid fan of horse racing and as you will soon hear in this episode Jordy draws many similarities between analyzing horses and his role as Chief Investment Officer of a hedge fund. At the end of the episode you might just hear Jordy's latest thoughts on the field as we approach the Kentucky Derby which is coming up on Saturday, May 6th, soon approaching. So with that Jordy, it's great to be with you here in person in our studio. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Dan. Good to to be in studio this time as opposed to uh, over uh, Polycom.
0: Absolutely. It always works out much better that way. So it's great to have you here. So as I might have alluded to, maybe we can expand a bit on this as a starting point. I heard, Jordy, that you do come up with a write-up of sorts of the Kentucky Derby on an annual basis. So for our listeners, our clients that might be unfamiliar, can you provide some background on your kentucky derby paper
1: yeah it uh at this stage it it really goes back in some way back to 2000 2001 so i had just come back from brazil i was at morgan stanley Always love the triple crown and I do want to differentiate as much as horse racing has been a part of my life. Uh, it's, it's, it's the triple crown that, uh, that I'm most focused on and the Kentucky Derby takes up most of that time. So when I came back from Brazil, it was like most people on my bucket list and I decided to go to the Derby. And because of the way I was brought up where my father had a huge influence on me on the concept of handicapping, which I still use today in almost every aspect of life and is something I, I, I believe in for that all people do, but it's something that I don't think enough people focus on as to the approach. So I went to the Derby, I, it was the year Fusiachi Pegasus won and I had prepared, uh, ahead of time and that's one of the things I'll, I'll leave with people who enjoy the derby. Most people go to derby parties starting now 3 4 weeks before the derby. You have a lot of data out there and you can actually start prepping for that race. It's what makes it unique and before I went to Churchill Downs for the first time, I did all my work. I had my own odds set up just like uh, let's say a uh, Vegas would do for for football lines. I did my own odds and then I went there and I wanted to see what the difference was between the odds I had come up with and what the other betters at the race did. So after that year, really fast forward to the great financial crisis. I'm now at Weiss, and uh, I was going to the Derby every year. And someone asked uh, if, if I would bet for them, and I said sure. And they asked me who I was betting on, and I overwhelmed them with just all my analytics. I gave them the paper that I wrote to bring with me and they asked if they could forward this around to people because it had a lot of stats that you just won't find anywhere. And so that was that year and then the next year, a bunch of people who had gotten that write-up asked where my write-up was for this year. So I had no intention of doing it, but since I was already doing it and since I like to write for the firm and I do a lot of writing, I just decided to do it and it led to something much, much bigger and it's been going on now for you know about 15 years. So.
0: Well, it's a fascinating story. Amazing how that all fell into place and the analysis you alluded to sounds very interesting. I do want to dive a bit further into that a bit later in our conversation. Before we get there, maybe to take a step back, Jordy, can you speak a bit further in terms of your passion for horse racing? Seems to be quite clear, but can you speak a bit further as to how that all originated, where that all came from?
1: Yeah, and I I think this will go for uh, a lot of people, um, especially as a young kid. My father just played games with me and they all involved some sort of predictive quality or math associated with them, whether it was poker, whether it was chess, but handicapping was just something that stood out to me. First of all, going to the racetrack is, is, is a special thing for kids because you've got horses, they're running around a track, they're massive animals. And my father just taught me the math behind making, you know, about the odds, how the odds came about, what the size of the wind pool was, all those types of things. But more importantly, and probably the thing that, that stands out the most that left with me, um, handicapping a horse race is about data and qualitative data. So you've got the quantitative data, which they hand to you when you enter. So the second you enter a racetrack, they give you a program. And in that program is an enormous amount of data. So there's not many things that you do in your life where you're handed something and you have this data analytics. So even as a kid, I was like, wow, this is great. So think about fantasy football now. Uh, Think about the NFL combines, which is the closest thing I can give you to handicapping a race. You're trying to predict who's going to be the best athlete or the best player at this position. Some of that data is the combine quantitative stuff where they do the measurements, but some of it's just how much they have in their heart and how much they go through it. Horse racing is no different. So I started at a very young age combining quantitative data with qualitative data. I started coding a program when I was probably 17 on a Commodore computer, taking all these analytics from racing forms, combining them, and then going to the racetrack with my friends and being like, okay, well, here's what this horse did there. And I started having almost like baseball cards to allow you to do things. So... For me, uh, it started with my father, and then since then, it has extended into the way that I analyze markets, the way I think about what the future is going to look like, and it all, I would say, was impacted most directly from handicapping horse races. So some deep roots, it sounds like. Thank you,
0: Jordy, for expanding on that, sharing that with our listeners. I'm curious the parallels you can draw Analyzing data when it comes to horse racing relative to the work you do as chief investment officer at Weiss analyzing data at a hedge fund. Can you speak a bit further to that?
1: Yeah. And for anyone listening who's kind of like, how does this fit in? Uh, I really like if you just started with what does paramutual mean? Uh, And then if you, you look it up and you realize, okay, this is different than poker in a very important aspect, meaning the odds of that you're betting on are created by the people at the racetrack or betting on the race. So you have to think about that. That is as close to the stock market as you can get. When you decide to buy a, a name in the semiconductor space, you're also saying, I like this name better than the other names in the space, or I think it's going to outperform the index. But there's some relative nature to it, which is really what paramutual is. You're making one decision uh, in lieu of another. And so as a CIO, if I'm bringing on a PM... Do we, you know, we'll look at quantitative data. We'll look at qualitative data on the PM. Everyone who's looked at a hedge fund looks at the historical track record. Well, that's like a racing program. They look for how they did during certain conditions, meaning the great financial crisis. Okay, well, maybe that's a muddy track. You can go through the similarities, but the end result is for a CIO When it comes to PMs or when it just comes to the macro environment, and I think that's probably one of the most important things I spend time on, Uh, what is the banking crisis that we've been going through since March? What does that mean for the future? How does it impact credit conditions? You're trying to look at things that are happening and match them up some way with the future. And I think the way I was taught handicapping races, it was really this progression of things. And it's a really important part. So I'll just leave it as as this. When you're analyzing a horse race, you know, the speed matters a lot. But you're also with younger horses, particularly for the Kentucky Derby, you're looking for the progression. And when we bring on a younger manager we don't have a large track record. That's kind of like a Kentucky Derby horse. We're looking to see the progression they're making. Are they improving? What skills and biases uh, do they have that we can isolate with data analytics? Well, it's very similar to a horse. So I would say almost all of the things that I was coding as a 17-year-old, and then when I started coding at Morgan Stanley on the risk management side, it was all related to the same thing, which is how do we make better decisions using data, not uh, quantitative data while not forgetting the qualitative side?
0: So that's a perfect segue. Maybe we can dive into the data collection process. Uh, we may mention of this towards the top of our conversation. But I want to dive a bit deeper in terms of what that looks like, how it's evolved over time for you.
1: Yeah, there, there there's three stages to the data collection. And what I'm about to say, if, if, and I'm sure there's people out there, anyone who's listening that wants to try this, uh, I'm basically going to tell you how you can do it starting from really Saratoga in the summertime. So these are three-year-old horses. They generally start racing sometime in the summertime as two-year-olds. By the time they get to the Kentucky Derby, they usually have somewhere between five and eight races under their belt. Very lately, a lot of the horses have only had three to five, which historically is very, very light, but that's the trend and the pattern change that's gone on. The first stage of data collection for me really starts over the summertime, and that's really watching on video the races. And remember, these races are a minute and a half at this point. So I could watch, I don't know, 500 races of the top 100 horses. And you know the horses at that point, the possible horses for the Derby. They're generally around a couple hundred. You can go read in any you know big thing, you know, who paid a lot of money for horses. These are generally the top draft picks of, of uh, horse sales. And I'll go through and I'll just look at the races. So this is really qualitative data. By the time we get into November, that's when the Breeders' Cup happens. So now they've got two or three races under their belt. I've seen the videos. I'm looking for speed that differentiates themselves. I'm looking for their ability to be mature at this age. Anything that kind of suggests that by the time we get to May, they're going to be in good shape. Starting from November, the data collection starts because that's when the races start getting over a mile. The derby is a mile and a quarter, and I start measuring their speed ratings. So speed ratings start to matter a lot. The favorite in this year's race is going to be Forte. He had his highest speed rating in November. Uh, I'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point uh, towards the end when we start getting specifically into horses. But that's a combination then of the qualitative side, and I'm starting to collect the speed ratings. And then now we're in the third stage of data collection. This is when all of the prep races are done. And now you have a 99% confidence level of uh, the 20 horses that will be in the race. Right now, out of 30, say, you know the 20 that will be in there. And the top 20 have been set. Meaning, if the race were happening tomorrow, we know the 20 horses that will be in the race because it's based on a point standing. There's only one race left, uh, which is a prep race, which is a smaller one. So at this point, I start collecting a lot of data that people don't collect. I start doing my own data. That means watching a lot of videos. It means going to a lot of, uh, of websites. And the one that I would just say is Equibase. It has the videos and it has all of the results. And then you can go in and kind of measure things, do the math on it. It's actually a very uh, thorough process. It takes me a while, but that doesn't start until around the second week of April. And that's where we are. So that's the way the stages go. It's interesting. It's
0: a one-year race. It happens once a year, but the data collection, the homework you have to do, it seems to be ongoing throughout the year.
1: Have to do. Um, I'm sure most people listening have, have if they've bet on the Derby, they've never done any of that. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, I would say that if you're going to be betting on the Derby every year, or if you just like puzzles... And you like the aspect of betting on the Super Bowl or any kind of event where you're like, hey, I know who's going to win or I'm going to do this or versus spread, whatever the case is. You're getting a lot more data to bring in that you can't really get. Vegas creates the lines and they say, what do you want to do? Well, for the Kentucky Derby, they have the same thing. You know the odds. You're like, all right, I like the odds. But if you do your own homework, you're like, you know what? I think this horse should be 7 to 1 and it's 40 to 1. That means I'm getting tremendous value. And even if it doesn't win... If I bet this time 50 years in a row, I'm going to make money because you're trying to find value in the race. Charlie Munger has a lot of great pieces, believe it or not, out on Power Mutual Betting and horse racing for value. And that's the whole point. And I'll just finish it with this. Everyone makes a handicapping decision every day. Um, If people want to go skiing, they have a choice. They can go to the Catskills or they can go to Aspen. Okay. Aspen's uh, a lot more money. And you can get a lot of Aspen runs in for... (laughs) or a lot of Catskill runs in for not much Maybe not price. this year with the weather we've got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, there was enough snow, but right. regardless, everything we make is one choice versus another, and right. there's a bunch of factors that go in. So looking at the odds is important.
0: What about your handicapping approach, Jordy? Can you expand on that a bit further for us, if you don't mind?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I, I do the prep work, and then I show up to the race, and I go most years. It, it, it broke off a little bit during COVID. Uh, but then when I go there, I don't bet much on any race. So I've gone to the Kentucky Derby for two days, meaning the Kentucky Oaks, which is the Philly version on the Friday and then the Derby many, many times. Uh, and a lot of times I don't bet on almost any of the races except maybe a small amount of money just to entertain me. It's really the Derby because I've done so much work on it, so I'll just show up with my own odds and then I'll look for how the value plays out right now. I see the Vegas odds on all the horses as we're this close, and I already have you know three horses which I think are are the odds are too high. And then I have uh, three that I think the odds are a little too low and they're not worth the price that they're at.
0: Before we get into the horses on your radar, I want to ask, as a follow-up to that prior question, your handicapping approach, any parallels there that
1: could be drawn to the work you do at Weiss? Yeah, again, I, I, I mentioned the first one, but everyone who's had to hire someone, a hiring process that is thorough, let's assume you interview 10 people. Well, That's like 10 horses in a horse race. You're trying to predict the winner or trying to predict the one that, however you define winning. And so for every single thing, when we decide we're going to focus on uh, moving in this direction, we have a podcast. It's been a big part of kind of what we've done and we thought about it. Well, I like doing them. Secondly, There's content in there that people want. How can we help the same way you guys do? And so I'm looking for any types of things, whether it's emerging markets, whether it's China, whether it's anything that today people may not be focused on, but they will be in the future. And that helps me make decisions because long-term decisions for how you want to shape your business, you kind of have to make decisions with a longer-term vision. And so anyone that's focused on the future, I think the process that I use for handicapping is very much geared towards future decision-making.
0: If you don't mind the ask, uh, the biggest risk or set of risks you feel facing investors at the moment as we make our way through the balance of the year?
1: Well, the the obvious one is what's happening from the banking situation. So at this point, um, we've had unprecedented bank deposit outflows and to me that's a very scary thing uh the fiat system i mean we have 18 trillion dollars of deposits in 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 the banking system we have a hundred it supports about 150 trillion dollars of household net worth and that quote-unquote levered reserve fractional banking system It's really important for the deposits. The trust in the banks is important. Um, I just wrote a paper that's coming out next week and we'll send over a copy to you guys uh, and it'll be on the website. But it's all on the intersection of crypto, artificial intelligence and the banking side and this concept of trust. And I think that is the biggest risk. If If people aren't trusting the banks and the outflows don't stop, the credit contraction will probably be worse than we imagine. I don't think this is systemic. I think this is basically another tightening. But I think you asked the question for the biggest risk. I think that's the biggest risk. I'm not really sure it's that bad for the market as a whole unless we go into a severe recession because people are expecting it. But I do think we're going to see a slowdown and I do think it's impossible for people to to fully know what the credit contraction is going to do.
0: Well, there's a lot out there to keep one up at night. Uh, So, Jordy, (laughs) thank you for sharing some color around market risks and your outlook for this year as well. Jordy, thank you again for making the time joining us here on UBS On Air Market Moves. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for the invitation, Dan. Always a pleasure.
2: UBS Financial Services, Inc., or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned.